0: Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for Proper 13 in Year A. Our series is Define Christian. We are looking at different ways to spell out what being a Christian means, uh, but most of all, listening to the Lord and His Word as He defines what being a Christian is. And we will see another aspect of what it means to be a Christian in today's readings. With us for this series, uh, as They have been for the last several weeks. Pastor Andy Miller from Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in Las Vegas. Pastor Tom Unkey from Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church, also in Las Vegas. And today with us, uh, former professor, now Pastor Tom Cuck of Atonement Lutheran Church in Milwaukee. Great to be with you all today talking about this wonderful text from God's Word. Andy Miller, let's start with you. We're talking about Proper 13 today. What's the unique emphasis for this Sunday in
1: the Define Christian series? Sure, thank you, and thanks for being together again today. If I had to put it in a word, I'd say supernatural. The term supernatural conjures up images of comic book heroes or breathtaking experiences that leave you speechless, you know, jaw-dropping, mind-bending, suspend-your-reason kind of things— But this is our Christian worldview. It's a big part of who we are. When I think of supernatural in relation to Jesus, though, I have to admit, I usually think about maybe what I'd call the bigger stuff. You know, I think of solar systems and superstructures taking shape from the tip of God's tongue within a six day, six 24 hour days period. I think of things like water or bread and wine or the dead coming to life, or even of heaven and angelic choirs welcoming us into that eternal day. When I think about supernatural in relation to Jesus, I, I don't immediately think about daily bread, like how the Lord fed Elijah by ravens, or how Jesus fed 5,000, likely many more than that, with the five loaves and the two fish. These aren't the first miracles that come to mind for us usually, Because even as as incredible as they are, they're not the, you know, they're not the big ones that we bring up or brag about perhaps most in the context of the Lord's divine and almighty power. But if I had to say it again, maybe my fault isn't so much simply fixating on the big stuff and forgetting the little stuff. It's maybe that I fixate so much on the little stuff in my life and forget what, extraordinary power and also what extraordinary concern the Lord has for me. So at the very least, we can say the miracles of God, the supernatural, reinforce both his superiority over us, but also his penetrating concern and compassion for us. And of course, the miracles of God show so much more too, but that's what will unfold even further today.
0: Thanks for that great summary. Uh, Tom Unki, let's go to you next. Could you remind us of what the gospel and the second reading are today, since we'll be looking at the first reading for our sermon text?
2: Yeah, thanks. It's great to be wrestling with these texts again with you and everybody who's preparing them right now um, using this podcast. Um, obviously, the focal point of our Sunday is going to be the Old Testament lesson and how the Lord fed his prophet Elijah. Uh, supernaturally through the Ravens, probably just simply naturally through the the Kirith Ravine that was there. The um, But when you look at all the other readings that are chosen for this Sunday, defining how God does it naturally or supernaturally, um, I think they kind of both come in there very well. And that's where I go to the readings, Ephesians 1, 3 to 10, really speaks about how Um, we're given every spiritual blessing. So now we're not talking about the physical provisions that, that most of the Sunday looks at, but, uh, talks about how God chose us before the creation of the world, adoption as sons and daughters, uh, all through his, through his riches of his grace, which he lavishes on us. And so kind of piggybacking off of what Andy was saying, when you have those major things in place, you know, redemption and, uh all the things that his beloved son did. It almost seems secondary that the Lord would also say, well, of course I'm going to provide for you physically as well. If he didn't spare his own son, how would he not also give us all things? So that ties in when you look at Ephesians one and then uh, very similar text to the first King 17 is the feeding of the 5,000. Um, taking what was natural and using the power of God to not only provide the food itself, but I love the aspect. In fact, Matthew 14, 13 to 21 was the very first text I was ever assigned back mm. way back when i found the feeding of the 5,000 and the test to teach is another part of that too. He was testing the disciples to see if they're ready to put their faith into practice. And that's going to be a big part of the, um, Sermon writing and application for this Sunday, too, is putting your faith into practice. It's not, one thing to say, I trust the Lord to provide, but then uh, trusting the Lord to provide is something we, we need to do daily. So. And then I want to throw that psalm in there, too, because the psalm emphasizes mm-hmm. how the Lord's faithful love endures forever, Psalm 136. And then it talks a lot about the fact that God is the creator, rules over all creation. So when we say trust the Lord to provide, I come back to the fact that there's no other source. I don't know what else you would trust, given the fact that he created all things. So all those things are there for our provision. And then the fact that he also supernaturally rules over all things, so he can make even the impossible possible. Um, and I think that'll find my way, find its way into my theme when I come around to actually writing the sermon. So. Um, God remembers us, provides for us, and we get the privilege of giving thanks is the essence of Psalm 136.
0: Great. That's a really helpful summary of the other readings. We can see the connection points quite easily today, but let's get into the sermon text recommended for this series. And that is the first reading, 1 Kings 17, 1 through 6. Tom Cuck, I'll turn things over to you now just to highlight some things in this text that might be useful for preachers to think about as they go on writing their sermon.
3: Uh, thanks, Professor Mitchell. Fun to be back with you all again. Thank you very much for having me. Um, this the, the Hebrew of this is overall fairly simple, but would like to pull out a couple of highlights that are kind of interesting. First of all, I'll start with uh, Elijah's name. You know, his name literally means Yahweh is my God. And you, you think about the time in which Elijah was the prophet. What an appropriate name for the prophet, huh? as he goes to battle with Baal and the prophets of Baal. And uh, the very name that God chose for his prophet um, is a direct confrontation mm-hmm. of all that was wrong in the nation of Israel. Yahweh is my God, the, the faithful Lord. He is my God. And uh, what a wonderful confession of faith for us, obviously, in 21st century times as, uh, as well. Um, nobody really knows where Tishbat is. There are all kinds of speculations about it. Most people will put it to the east of the Sea of Galilee somewhere, either around the the same latitude as the Sea of Galilee. Some put it a little further south. Others put it on the east side of the, or the west side, excuse me, of the Sea of Galilee. I wouldn't spend a lot of time thinking about it. There is a a textual question in verse 1. Is it Elijah the Tishbite? from Tishba in, Gale- in Gilead, um, or is it Elijah the Tishbite who was a dweller in Gilead? And um, the, you can kind of go either way, but the reason for that is we have not really been able to find any Tishbas that are in Gilead. So to see it as Elijah the Tishbite who was dwelling in Gilead, that maybe makes a little bit more sense, I wouldn't get too wrapped up in it, but just to, to put it to the side for you. An interesting thing, um, right away in verse one is that the Lord is the living one. Got the adjective chai, chai um, out of nai, that the Lord is living. And you think about, the, again, the contrast where Baal is supposed to be the one who brings life. What does Baal actually bring? Nothing. Um, if you want to say he brings death, I guess you could, but really he brings nothing, no life whatsoever. And yet the mighty Lord, the faithful God, what does he bring? Life. And it's constant. And you see this in, in the text as he brings Elijah life by providing for him. And then later on, as the uh, account continues, that he will eventually provide rain for uh, for the earth, which brings us to another kind of interesting thought. Um There are three different words for precipitation used in this text. Uh, Two of them show up in verse one. Uh, The other one actually shows up in verse seven, um, where it talks about the the brook running dry because there's been no rain in the earth. Um, Probably just God emphasizing the totality of this drought. And for us who don't live in as much of an agrarian society it's hard for us to imagine the devastation for there to be no rain or dew in the land for three and a half years. This is economic devastation because people, for the most part, many speculate more than 95% of the people were agrarian at that time. Boy, to not have crops, uh, to not have water for your herds and flocks, this is devastating. So we're gonna trust. We're gonna have to turn your trust, uh, trust to the Lord. A couple other Hebrew thoughts, and then I'll then I'll stop. Um, the oath form in uh, in verse one is just really hard to translate. The thought of it is clear that the God whom I serve, He's uh, the, there's no way there's going to be rain in the land unless I say so. Uh, to try to take what's in the Hebrew and put it into into English, really difficult. Translate it for the sense of it, you'll be be fine. Um, an interesting thought in verse one, again, right off the bat, um Elijah's talking to Ahab and he says to him, Um, just he just says, before whom I stand, or a little bit more literally, I stand before his face, and he's talking about God. And Elijah is saying, I stand before the face of God. Um, Pastors, what a good reminder for us. Yes, we're here to serve the people of God, but ultimately, who do we stand before? We stand before the face of God. And it is God who will judge us as faithful or not. And thankfully, through Christ, yes, you will be judged faithful. But what a wonderful reminder for us that ultimately our judge is the Lord, that he is the one to whom we are responsible. He is the one to whom um, we answer. And, uh, and ultimately, because of Christ, we will be found to be in, in good shape because of that. One other thought, and that's down in verse four, where God says, I have commanded the ravens. Um, this is a really cool verse to remind ourselves, uh, Tom, you had mentioned it earlier, Tom Unkey, that God really is in charge of all of creation. And uh, to hear God giving commands to scavenger beasts, that scavenger beasts will do absolutely the opposite of what they are naturally knit together to do, is a a really remarkable thought that's, I think, Kind of a cool thought to explore. That for us, um, God controls nature. He's going to control it for the good of His people, and if that means taking care of you physically, uh, He will do whatever it takes. I'm going to stop there, so we can sure. start bouncing back and forth a little bit.
0: Great, uh, yeah. Further thoughts, Tom Unki.
2: I just want to pick up Professor Cook's thought on uh, serving the Lord and standing before His face. Um, good reminder for us as pastors, of course, but also there you have the great example in the prophet Elijah, because his message was not going to be popular. Um, In fact, he would have to go into hiding as a result of making this clear statement, but he didn't shy away from it, nor did he think of personal things of, you know, if it's probably accurate that the drought had started already about six months prior to this, because scripture talks about a three and a half year drought but whatever the case they were familiar with it and um Elijah was ready to say yes this comes from the Lord the one who I serve and he's the living God he's the creator and then uh, God came to him and say okay now get out of here because because they're going to come after you and I'll provide for you and he instead of worrying about himself he did what he was told to do he shared what he was told to share and knew the Lord would provide for him so it's kind of a Premise for the the provision from the Ravens, right? Right, Tom Cook.
3: Yeah, and great thoughts, Tom. Appreciate them totally. And just to, to piggyback off of them a little bit, um, nobody also really knows where the Kerith ravine is. There's a couple of different speculations. Most people will put it on the Trans Jordan side of the Jordan River, kind of about yeah, give or take halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. But um, that's two things assuming it is outside of the land of israel what a judgment on the people of god that at a time when they really really needed a prophet like crazy god sends the prophet away do not mess with god do Mm -hmm. not take the word for granted because god very well may send the word away and even at the time when you really kind of need it the most um, and then secondly, what wonderful care and protection for Elijah. Uh, Tom, you're exactly right when you say things were not gonna be happy for Elijah at this point. Uh, hey, guys, I'm withholding the rain of the dew from the land. You're doing what? <laughs> you know that that was not exactly gonna be uh, gonna be well received by his brothers and sisters there in the land of Israel, you would guess. Um, there were the faithful few, there was the remnant. But boy, that was gonna be hard. And so God's grace and caring for, His uh, prophet is pretty cool, yeah. And
0: uh, speaking of God's care for his prophet, um, I mean, this Tom Cook, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the beginning of the Elijah narrative, really. And it just starts out with um, this guy coming out of nowhere, standing in the face of the king, right, and pronouncing God's judgment. Um, so that the narrative is just kind of fascinating to me. It's like if you're you know, you're watching a uh, streaming service, and here comes. You think you follow the story, and here's a new episode, and all of a sudden there's this character you'd never seen before, in this big dramatic moment, uh, and now everything is going to change because God is bringing His judgment uh, upon Israel. Tom Anki, yeah.
2: If you're watching that uh, streaming service that you mentioned, and uh, jumps in with the all of a sudden Elijah speaking. The only background to it is just what a horrible person and a moral king Ahab had been, mm-hmm. and how there was right. justification for this um, judgment. And then, you know, the other thing is, of course, that to show that it was such a negative thing, and it was all on Elijah, was when he does meet up with Ahab later on in the story beyond our text, He refers, Ahab refers to Elijah as the troubler of Israel, so... Mm. Um, blamed Elijah entirely for what God was doing.
0: Right. Yeah. Ahab holds Elijah responsible uh, when uh, Elijah, you know we could speculate, wouldn't have been there had it not been for Ahab's gross unfaithfulness and uh, leading people away from the true God. Um, as we look at this text kind of in, in, in the context of our theme for the day, um, I suppose preachers are especially drawn to the miracle at the Careth ravine. Uh, we've mentioned the ravens a couple times already doing what, you know, when ravens see uh, bread and meat lying around, their instinct is not to pick it up and deliver it to someone else. So God is, as Tom, you mentioned, God is commanding the ravens uh, to do what goes against their nature. Uh, uh, so um, what do you see kind of as the, uh, what are you putting together as the main point, the main thrust of this section or how would you summarize it? Thoughts, thoughts on that for preachers? Tom Cook?
3: I guess one of my thoughts in handling this text would be to, to simply say, trust in God no matter what. I mean, everything that God here said to Elijah was, to the human mind, incomprehensible. You know, number one, uh, Elijah, you get to control the heavens. You decide when there's going to be rain. What? You're going to give that power to the human being? You know, James talks about that Elijah prayed and it did not rain for three and a half years and then he prayed and the rains came. Um, that's incomprehensible. Secondly, I'm going to send scavenger, bir- scavenger birds to feed you. What? That's nuts. Um, mm. There's speculation, by the way, as to where those uh, ravens got the food. Uh, certainly could have just been a miracle of God that they had it. And if you know, finally won't know, But some speculate that the one place in the land that would have had food would have, of course, been Ahab, that there would have been food in the palace, and that perhaps these scavenger birds scavenged Ahab's (laughs) palace and scavenged the uh, the table of the king. And so, God, in wonderful, um, with his wonderful sense of humor, was feeding his prophet to the immoral, awful king. Um, We don't know it for sure. But it's uh, a thought that just causes one to chuckle a little bit. Even the name of the place to which Elijah was sent, the Kareth Ravine. Uh, Kareth is from the Hebrew Karat, which means to cut off. is its basic root meaning. And over the course of time, what was going to happen? That brook that was um, giving Elijah sustenance was going to get cut off too. And you can only imagine what's going on in Elijah's head through all this. You know, I don't do well when I have a ton of thinking time. How much thinking time did Elijah have? Oh, man. And you're sitting there watching this brook get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and trickle away. Wow. Who am I going to trust? You know, and so often in life, we get come to to face to face with that kind of stuff or health difficulties or financial issues or job issues or relationship struggles or whatever and it seems like things are just trickling away um who am i gonna trust finally i've got the god who rules the universe on my side and he has promised to care for me somehow some way what a wonderful promise from god
0: Absolutely. Let, let's let get back to your thought you just mentioned, Tom, uh, how our trust kind of trickles away. Is, is that where you guys are are seeing kind of the malady of the text or as you apply this to people's lives, um, seeing parallels in, in how we can falter
1: in our trust in God's provision, Andy? That's certainly the direction I'm going. Worry and doubt, maybe both, especially as But in relation to First Commandment, again, this series has brought out a lot of First Commandment uh, condemnation from a number of different angles. And here we want to see that worry and doubt, or if we say say it positively, placing our trust in anyone or anything outside of the Lord is absolute devastation for us personally in faith. And related to that, this is not necessarily, you know, first use of the law preaching per se but eventually with the gospel we'll, we'll talk about perhaps god's control or god's provision and his his power to do so but it's it's interesting that god's control always has a goal and on the negative side you can see that he imposed this drought it it had to have been somewhat personal not just for every individual soul in israel but for king ahab and the Descriptions of just how wicked he was to bring about the kind of idolatry. He wasn't a syncretist. He wasn't a guy like mixing different kinds of worship. He was a guy who exclusively went wholesale to Baal and Asherah. And they were such inappropriate and just horrible fixtures of idolatry. And so God's drought, of course, you think think you're worshiping uh, a powerful God who can provide fertility for the land? And God's going to show just how impotent he is by, by bringing about this drought. But again, the goal of God's control and intervention here is to bring sinners to their knees and to see that they have been worshiping and relying upon the wrong
2: God.
0: Thank you. Uh, Tom Unke?
2: So just to play off of what Andy was just saying, I think there's good um, law preaching to be done you know, you can start out in general by saying, look at how mankind even today has insisted in its arrogance that we don't need God. You know, the whole concept of atheism and evolution and, um, even just the whole idea of we, we stand on our own, but when you push the Lord out of everything, when you push God out of everything, then you get to difficult times. Um, the world is worried about climate change and what are we going to do and all that sort of thing when you don't have a lord to go back to when you don't recognize the creator in all things you find yourself in a very desperate place and i think there's a malady there because you know you can talk about it as i just did on mankind's uh, you know they're the ones guilty but each and every one of us can do that too and we start to Think about how we're the ones who are earning our keep, and we're the ones who earn the offerings or the um, money that we have. And and then uh, all of a sudden, if you're the one who's responsible for it all, and it all starts to dry up, you know, we got some potential crises ahead with inflation and such. Um, you can very easily start to forget that it is the Lord that you depend on entirely. And whether he provides for it naturally, like the water in the brook, or supernaturally, like the ravens, um, we depend on him always. We, we don't breathe without him giving permission to breathe. We don't live without him being the source of our existence. And so there's a huge stewardship message here, too, but it goes way beyond just he'll provide. You know, we need to recognize as the Psalm, Psalm 36 says, 136, um, the creator the one who is the source of all things. And then just one other thing to throw in there um, is I just thought about how God provided for Elijah daily through the Ravens, uh, similar to the manna in the wilderness. See, the Ravens didn't bring, you know, a month's worth of supplies and a chest freezer. They brought just enough for the day. And that lesson has been taught by God throughout the course of history and when we live in such uh, affluent times, it's good to remember that, that we trust him for our daily bread. Right. That comes up again
0: with the widow of Zarephath too, right? Uh, enough for one more day. Um, so we're, I think we're mentioning already some gospel thoughts um, to uh, address the, the malady, um, but uh, what I would like to expand on kind of the unique gospel emphases that are here in this text that you want to bring out as you preach
3: it. Tom Cook? You know, we we tend to think uh, second article truths when we're talking gospel. I think this is one of those chances where you can really preach first article gospel. Um, You have a God who commands the universe. That is a wonderful good news thought. And you have a God who commands the universe to do what he wants it to do. Again, what a wonderful good news thought. So I've, one of my encouragements would be to, uh, to, to brothers to bring out those first article gospel truths, maybe in place of the Apostles' Creed this week, maybe you, uh, you use the first article of the Apostles' Creed and Luther's explanation of it,
2: mm-hmm. as
3: a Confession of Faith during the worship service, um, to have a chance to focus on those first article truths, I believe God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, um, who can command droughts, who can command ravens, who can command anything that needs to be done. And you, know, you can continue that if you do dive into the widow of Zarephath account, um, the whole way that plays out where just a little bit of, of uh, flour and oil and God makes it go on and on and on and, and don't miss the geography. Um, Zarephath is in the middle of Baal country. That's where Jezebel was from. She was from real close up there. And so where does God hide his prophet? Yeah, right in Baal hometown. (laughs) Not Mm -hmm. the way you'd expect. And then God commands the universe so that the people in the middle of Baal country um, are not provided for by Baal, but are provided for by the God who rules the universe. And he will provide for you and me too. Those first article gospel truths are are really a cool opportunity on a a day like
1: today. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Andy? Just to key off the idea of planting and hiding his prophet right under Baal's nose too this it's unusual maybe or or unexpected for sure, but whenever human authorities try to implement something novel, things always or things tend to turn forgive the pun dark as a raven's feather, you know. But the Lord, when He intervenes, it's always, it it may be unusual, it may be completely unexpected, but it is always just the exact right way. It's just the perfect thing that's needed. I mean, he could have brought food on the backs of ibexes if he wanted to, but he chose ravens who normally selfishly scavenge and hoard for themselves. And not only are they scavenging for food for Elijah, they're sharing it. (laughs) It's just, you're right. I, I really appreciate the first article gospel emphasis because I feel like that's a very unique way that it resolves the malady. Mm-hmm. Tom Unkey.
2: I always um uh, remember Professor Jesky. I think I brought this up on an earlier episode too, but not just first article gospel, but always take him to the cross and, and the empty tomb for you know as acquittal gospel for the sins of not trusting and the sins of not representing. So If I were going to look for that kind of gospel in here, I think it's just found in the name of the Lord, um, in that verse where Elijah begins his whole statement as, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, Um, so much gospel in there, because of course the covenant name is full of it, of gospel truth, but also it's in contrast to Baal and any other Source that anybody else might go to because Baal was not living. Baal was not able to help. And so Elijah came in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, the true God of Israel, even though Ahab was trying to take him in a different direction. Uh the true God says, I'm not impressed. I'm the God of Israel. And as surely as he lives, um, he's the one who's going to bring this judgment. He could have brought a judgment of total destruction, but instead, it's another loving call to repentance. Uh, through the drought that was happening there, and it's hard to not, when you see the God of Israel lives, it's hard to not uh, drift a little bit into the Easter Sunday message there, so I think you could take them right away to the spiritual blessing, which is back in the Ephesians reading, Um, provides everything spiritually, why would he not also provide everything physically, and that's the God we serve, so that name is just chock full of awesome gospel.
0: Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, Tom Cook?
3: Yeah, great thoughts, Tom, and I, I hadn't really thought about it, but you could even bounce into Elijah's name and bring out some of those thoughts, too, that uh, Eliyahu, um, the Lord, the faithful God is my God, too, and that, that could even be a theme, I suppose, that that I've, I have as a God, God love me faithfully, first article-wise, and love me second article-wise, and loved me so much that he chose me from all eternity and blessed me with every spiritual blessing in christ Mm -hmm. lord that's my god Wow, cool thing
0: yeah you guys have mentioned what i was going to ask about and that is um ways to preach christ uh from this section of the old testament uh this time of year, uh, we talk about that with our middlers and in homiletics as they work with Old Testament texts. Um, one of the ways we talk about is thinking about uh, analogy. Um, so looking at how God operates here in the Old Testament um, and seeing how God operates in a similar way in the New Testament era in our lives um, or related to that uh, Uh, We talk sometimes about longitudinal themes, so kind of big themes in Scripture that run from the Old Testament to the New. Um, And so that's kind of what I think of as I I think about this text. And you have mentioned it already, um, how God shows his gracious providence for us in the midst of all this um, unfaithfulness uh, that God, though he brings his judgment, does not abandon his people, does not stop loving and forgiving, but keeps on uh, showing his grace and his providence in the midst of all this, including then in the midst of our, we've talked about this, our, our own personal mistrust of him, that the grace of Jesus is there for us,
1: uh, meeting those needs as well. Um, Andy? Just another way to connect to Christ, possibly, I know there's not a, always a lot of time for this in a in a short sermon, but an unheralded, high point of our church calendar year is transfiguration and it would be a nice way to connect just to show that the god who provided for elijah is the same god who led him to see that the true god would provide for him one day in the provide the provided savior right. and there elijah was on month of transfiguration talking about jesus exodus and um just a you know jesus is the embodiment of all the prophets and their ministries and he He's the grateful fulfiller of Elijah's message. Excellent. Yeah. Um, how about theme ideas or uh,
0: even rough thoughts that you're working with that you could suggest to preachers? Any possibilities that uh, we could mention? Um, Tom Unkeep, get some concepts you're working with.
2: Hmm. Okay. So they are concepts and certainly not packaged words, but. I was thinking of something along the lines of trust in the Lord to provide or only the Lord can provide or um, trust the Lord to provide who else could. But then the parts that I have that I'm kind of liking is all creation serves his purpose. So you could talk about uh, the purpose of calling Israel to repentance. He, Mm -hmm. You know, the Mm -hmm. rain's not coming, but then the ravens do serve the purpose and um, he commands them as Tom Cuck brought out earlier but then the other second part is um, all creation serves his people Uh, so again if he's going to use his creation he uses it naturally or supernaturally to provide for us as he does and um, Psalm 37 19 says talking about God's blameless people even in the days of famine they will enjoy plenty so uh, taking away a little bit of that fear of uh, what happens if everything goes south what happens if we don't have anything well we never will be there cuz the lord will provide so yeah that's theme parts for, in 10 minutes <laughs> all right
1: <laughs> uh andy ideas well a couple of concepts for themes you could go something relatively uh simple like give us today our daily bread that kind of thing or i mentioned earlier the way that god's control always has a goal and in this context the way i, I might divide, it would be God's control always has a goal, whatever we need, which in this case, isn't just the bread that he provided for Elijah, that would sort of be uh, um, a transition of the gospel, but he, he provided even the, the drought as a call to repentance, which is exactly what his people needed at the time. And of course, uh, part two would be something along the lines of however he determines, which look at all the usual means of grace, and unusual means of grace and so many other different things. I mean, you think about for um, a little bit of crossover into application under this point that, um, you know, the Lord, there's never there's never an end to the rope with him. He's always there. He always provides. There's an answer to prayer, a reminder of his sacrifice for our people, a sermon that hits the spot, a spot, little extra money for food, you know, life insurance for your kid, a job, a compliment when you're feeling or when you're you know in the in the gutter an apology or any combination of those things that the Lord provides as he determines exactly how and when it's needed. Yeah great thoughts Tom Cut.
3: Um uh, an aspect of this that we haven't really talked about and I, I don't know how much you want to go down this trail but it could be a fun one to explore is the idea that the Lord is always training you. Um you know he was in a big sense, training these people to rely on him, get promised back in you know, the Torah that these things would happen if they turned to, to idol worship. Well, he did exactly what he promised he would do. He turned the heavens to bronze. And, uh, they gave forth no rain. But to look at it more specifically with Elijah, you know, man, he j- how long did this last? We don't know. Um, I think I'd have gone stir crazy <laughs> he's sitting out there and, and being fed day by day by scavenger birds and watching this uh, this brook dry up in front of my face. And yet God was training him to rely on God's providence, to rely on God's timing, to trust that God had things under his control. How important was that going to be for Elijah later on, um, particularly when right. think of the Mount Carmel event, right. to know that God really was that God really could and would provide to know that God really did have it. And then God needed to kind of remind him of those things when he heads down to Mount Horeb and is hiding in the cave. But God is constantly training us. And and maybe in this one, training us to rely on him particularly could be a thought. Obviously, that's not super well thought out, but it is something that Mm. could be fun to explore if a pastor wanted to run down that trail. Yeah, goodbye.
0: We have an application idea, um, learning, uh, growing. Uh, The Lord is growing us in our ability to trust him as he provides uh, day
1: by day. Uh, Andy, one more thought? Yeah, just one more thought, I suppose, would be I see a lot of the the, in the text here, just a lot of um, the people have been either led to believe or had willfully given themselves into believing God is not enough or the true God is not enough. So if you wanted to state a positive theme and, and chase this, I think you could have a lot of room to write, you know, God is enough, you know, sounds simple enough to sit, state that up front, but is that really how we live? Is that really how we act? Is that how we conduct our lives or are we living as though, well, I, I, I need a certain income or I need a certain toy, or I need a certain thing to be content, to be comfortable, whatever God is enough. Look here at how.
0: Right, right. Eliyahu, right? The Lord is my God, and and he's enough. Uh, He will provide. Well, let's uh, wrap there, giving preachers some things to think about. But thank you, Tom, Tom, and Andy, for sharing your thoughts. Lord bless you, preachers, as you proclaim the Lord's faithfulness.